Welcome to Nice to Meet You Podcast, episode 19. And today we've got a special guest with us. We've got Maureen. Maureen, thank you so much for coming down. Thank you for having me. And you might have seen Maureen. She made a TikTok recently in the past week or two um, about a racial abuse that she received in Hazelbank. And you've been on the news and all this week, so she's had a busy week. Yeah. Viral TikTok <laughs> pops off, and here we are we're on the podcast as well. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming down, and thank you for making the video as well. Yeah. I think it's like a lot of people will applaud you for just shining a bit of light on that mm-hmm. on that subject that can be taboo, yeah. especially in Northern Ireland, but just anywhere in the world. Generally, it's a topic that a lot of people know exists, yeah. but would like to just turn the other cheek and just pretend it doesn't. Yeah. But it's important to talk about it. That's why I wanted you on this podcast, and that's why I'm really grateful that you were brave enough to make a video about it and to speak about your personal experience about racism. So thank you so much. Really appreciate you coming yeah. down. Thank you, and yeah. thank you for having me. No, we're, we're honoured to have you. Yeah. We're honoured to have you. Um, before we get into that topic, yeah. um, I think it's important that people actually get to know you as well, yeah. because yeah. people have maybe just seen your video or seen you on the news, and yeah. they're like, who is this girl? What, what's she about? Where's she from? What's she do? So just tell us a wee bit about yourself, sort of where you've grew up, a wee bit about your life growing up that's led you to this point right now. Yeah, um, so I was born in Kenya um, to... a a young girl, and um, she was only 19 when she had me, and um, never met my dad because um, it didn't work out between them. Oh. And um, so she struggled for a few months by herself with me, um, but her parents um, took me in because things were just not working. Um, Anyway, so I spent eight years with my granny and then <laughs> got shipped off to a boarding school. Wow. Um, it's not funny. But <laughs> um, yeah, and then... Um, at was the that age, in Kenya? You were in boarding Kenya, school as well, yeah. 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 Is that um, just because your gra- Boarding school is when you live full-time in school, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And oh, my your, Was your granny just in a position where she just couldn't... I think they thought, honestly, I think they thought they were doing a good thing I think they thought you know it's the thing that you do when you get to a certain age but I was only eight and I have a seven-year-old and I just think I couldn't imagine you were like that was me yeah yeah yeah. and there was no running water um or electricity or whatever it was pretty rough I've whenever I've gone back to Kenya I make sure to stop by and every time I think oh my god (laughs) and they're shut down now thank god (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but I moved to Dublin when I was 12 um, and lived in Tala, mm-hmm. and that's where I did my secondary school and university um, and good. worked for a bit um, at the Matter Private. Um, I did clinical physiology. Um, so that was fun. That was plenty fun. And then, um, yeah, and then I married Tim and moved to Northern Ireland. Mm. I have three kids, seven, four, and two, and they are the cutest boys they in the whole cute. wide world. They are They really are, they're honestly cute. to God. Like, <laughs> I just, I, I feel very lucky. <laughs> and you say you met, you met your husband and... So we, so oh, my husband's right. from the north and that's how I ended up up here, but very I... Good previous church used to do stuff between the north and the south so it was the same denomination um but in different countries but they kind of the church treated 
like it was like one yes. if that makes sense yeah, it was yeah like it was a relationship between yeah. The two, yeah so yeah so we were able so we met at summer camp wow um i was 13 he was 11 he fancied me i didn't fancy him <laughs> <laughs> but when i um when he turned 19 i was like oh he's not bad <laughs> <laughs> we'll hit him up now yeah, yeah. he's all right <laughs> oh that's cool yeah oh that's like mixed race babies are the best that's oh. that's me as well <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, that's another reason why I brought you on. Obviously, my background as well is yeah. is mixed. My yeah. mum's uh, a white woman from Northern Ireland and from the beautiful Northern Ireland. And yeah. my dad's black man from Mauritius. So yeah. I'm a beautiful mix between two amazing islands. Yeah. Like, you couldn't get two yeah. better islands to no. to make yeah. babies. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my, a bit of my background as well. Mm-hmm. So I can sort of relate to a wee bit of like, what you were saying yeah. um, about the racism and that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you said you... Um, went to boarding school and then moved to Ireland. So what, yeah. what was the, how did you get that move or why did you move? So my aunt had moved um, from Kenya and ended up in Ireland and she, you know, told my mom about it and my mom had moved uh, moved then, you know. Um, so my mom moved about two years before I moved mm-hmm. and actually my coming to Ireland is so bizarre so a woman saw me I was on school holidays and um, my mom had worked for her and she saw me walking in the rain and she said that God told her that she needed to bring me to Ireland so she booked me um, a first class ticket um, and brought me to Ireland (laughs) I've never flown first class ever again like couldn't afford it but she was really rich and um so she actually surprised my mom my mom didn't know i was coming wow yeah yeah so that's That's crazy yeah yeah. and that's you have you always had that uh relationship with god then from a young age is that yeah you believe Mm -hmm. in god yeah it's it's been a big part of my life um and it's really changed um you know over the years um for a long time god was this kind of distant parent waiting to like punish me so I was always always very obedient for fear of like you know getting on the wrong side of God but in the last four years I like God I think is a black woman (laughs) Um, and she's chill and she's loving and um, and she likes to give cuddles and (laughs) so my faith has evolved quite a bit and but I had to go through some really rough stuff um, to kind of get to that point but to me now God is loving yeah. yeah, yeah, I can take, I can take, like, I have a yeah. church background myself. Yeah. Um, I haven't been going of recent. Yeah. But I know what you mean, you can get burnt yeah. by it and you're like, oh, like, is there even a God anymore? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I went but through that. <laughs> you're in a good place now where yeah. you feel like yeah. God was never the, the bad yeah. in all of that. No, I, I really believe that God is good. Um, but that's a whole theological discussion. <laughs> <laughs> that's another podcast episode. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So what just touched on your on your parents as well. Like you said you never knew your dad yeah. and you still have a relationship with your mum then or what's that like? Yeah, no, I'm estranged from my mom. Okay. Um hopefully I won't cry, but um, okay. um it, it's just it, it's been a strained relationship for quite a long time. Um I think, you know, she she went through a lot of trauma as a child um, and as a teenager, especially something horrific happened to her. And, um, you know, whenever stuff like that happens to us, we're stuck. 
and you know our inner child gets stuck and I, I you know I, I think that that's her situation but she was never really able to be there for me so whenever I lived with my grandparents I saw my mom sometimes like just once a year and and um, it's interesting because before my granny passed away um, I, w I was trying to find out more about my life because there was a lot of secrets um, revolving like how you know around how I went to live with my grandparents and, and I still don't know how exactly and mm. um, anyway so I was talking to her and my granny was like well I used to tell your mom that she needed to come and see you and I just think I was a mistake that happened I know I'm not a mistake but I was a mistake that happened when she wasn't ready and I don't think she ever got ready she might feel otherwise but um it's just you know she hasn't been there for me the mm. way I you know, and having kids really opened my eyes. As to about that. you say that, you, um, having your own kids now, yeah it, yeah, it probably makes you process things differently now. Oh my god, yes! It, it was when I was pregnant with my first child. Like, um, I. I was in Michigan at the time, and as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I was like, Mom, I'm pregnant. You're going to have to come and see me and, you know, help me out for a few weeks. And she wouldn't come, and it wasn't finances. And she told me that she didn't want to leave her other two kids, who were about 15 and 6 at the time. Um, and yet she had left me for 12 years. Um, do you know what I mean? And that's when I started to be like, oh, okay like I was really confused about that and then when I moved back I I kept trying and nothing was happening and you know I don't want to go into too much detail but I did get to a point where I thought um I need to pick me because I can't be a parent to my kids and to myself because I'm in the process of trying to reparent myself so that I, I can heal the mm wounded inner children um, inside of me and also be a parent to my mom you know there was a lot of like yeah where I had I had been a parentified child I had been the adult from when I was very young and um, so I, I just I, I had to give up on that but it's the hardest thing to do yeah. um, when you get to a point where you feel like you can't have that relationship with the parents so mm -hmm. it, it's it's really hard yeah. um, but I also feel very free, if that yeah. makes sense. Um, and yeah, because I don't have to keep picking myself up yeah. um, every time I interact with her. Of course. Yeah. Um, your, your dad, you've, you've still to this day. Never met nothing. him. He died. Oh, so, okay. um, oh, gosh, here's another. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how much <laughs> I'm allowed to share. But um, so my mom got married when I remarried. Well, married officially when I was 10. In Kenya, if you live with someone, it's considered marriage, especially if the two families have met. And okay. yeah. So anyway, she did that with my dad and then she left him because it wasn't working out. Um, you know, for many different reasons. Anyway, so at the age of 10, um, she's getting married and the night before her wedding, little me, um, I was I was hoping people would go to sleep, you know, the way like if lots of family are together. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm sitting there going, please go to sleep. I want to talk to my mom because everybody kept saying, oh, you're going to have a new dad. It's amazing. And I was just like, but what happened to my old one, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so that night I stayed up. And what age were you then? I was 10. 10. So I stayed up in my granny's kitchen. If you want to picture this, it was a kitchen made out of mud, mud bricks. And so it wasn't, you know, um, there was no concrete or anything like that. Um, and um, so it was me, my mom, 
my cousin and I think my granny and a few other people outside um, and I I was like, these people are not going to sleep. I'm just going to ask the question. So I said, um, mom, um, <laughs> you know, like people keep telling me that I'm getting a new dad, but like, uh, who was my dad? I had to ask the night before her wedding and I, you could have heard a pin drop on this, oh, on this dusty kitchen. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, um, and you could see her, like, she was not impressed that I was asking this question. But anyway... Was um, this her big moment? Yeah, it? this yeah. is her moment, and I was ruining it. Like, how, mm. how could I ruin it? Um, and um, she told me that, um, you know, she was like, um, you know, he passed away um, when you were four. And it's interesting, my birthday was never really celebrated. Mm -hmm. But on my fourth birthday, she did a party for me. So I, I, so now as an adult, I'm able to be like, oh, okay, yeah, I think that's what happened. Oh. So she felt guilty for never introducing me to him, and he passed away. He was in India, um, you know, we don't know what happened. So he went to study and came back, yeah. um, dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's him. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. But yeah. That's what we were talking off camera as well. Like I, I said to you, and a lot of people that know me probably don't even know this, but like I talked to my dad for the first time this year like mm -hmm. after 15 years and yeah. so it's 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 a weird one like it was it was aw awkward like you yeah. know you've, you've never basically never met this person before mm -hmm. you know because i'm he's a lot older than how i knew him yeah and i'm obviously a grown man now. Mm -hmm. and i was a little kid i was 10 11 12 maybe mm -hmm. um going into high school so a young child but yeah. now a fully grown man yeah. so it's almost like two people's never met it was weird yeah but you're supposed to have the most intimate relationship with that person but yeah. you don't yeah and it's it's so it was so awkward <laughs> to begin with like it's just, i knew i was going to carry the conversation yeah. like i knew that yeah. it was going to be me yeah but um it was it was a good conversation it, it turned out well yeah you know we, we got chatting about it. we sort of well i knew that i had i had to break the ice and yeah i sort of just chatted about stuff that was really light-hearted yeah. and funny and yeah. then just asked a few serious questions then as well mm -hmm. But it turned out good. Like the conversation went well, yeah. and it went well enough that there's, I think there's a high possibility chance of reconciling it. Yeah. But again, like as you said, it has to be them as well. It wants yeah. it. You can't just yeah. force someone to want a relationship yeah. with you. Do you know what I mean? It has to be both ways. Yeah, I think work. so. I'm a, I, you know, I was very much like the person that even with friendships, I try to make them work. You know even when the other person didn't m try to make it work. And I feel like I, I did that with my mom and I gave it my all. Mm. I literally, I, I couldn't give anymore. And, um, you know, and I, I think, yeah, they have to want it as well because it's a relationship, right? Um, and, and if you're the parent, like, there's a responsibility that you have as a parent. And, yeah. like, with my kids, I would give anything. I would... Like, if our relationship wasn't working, I would give everything, yeah. um, you know, and, yeah. So. A, a lot of people will relate to yeah. your story with your mom and dad and even yeah. my story with my dad there that I've just shared. Is a lot of people, I think, do struggle with relationships with their parents. Yeah. It's hard because, as a young child, you, you, you depend on them, yeah. obviously. Like, you're so young, they, they provide you with a house and yeah. feed you and cook for you and bring you up, take you to school, take you home, take yeah. you to your friend's house. Mm -hmm. And then... As a teenager and as an adult, and sometimes the relationship just changes. Yeah, it's weird. Like I've yeah. seen it in my own life and yeah. friends' life. It, it, yeah. It's a weird. It can be a weird relationship yeah. in your life when you feel like it should be the most intimate, nearly. Yeah. 
But I think, yeah, and I think, um, I think a lot of parents, um, from my experience, um, you know, they think that they can get by by not nurturing a relationship. Um, that is, you know, because we depended on them so much when we were little that yeah. we're just going to always be there. But when you get older, you start to realize, actually, wait a minute, I don't depend on you as much. And what I need is a relationship. So I think, um, you know, I was... I read a lot about parenting and it says from about zero to nine is where we really need to nurture a relationship and those bonds so mm -hmm. that the children can be attached to you properly yeah. because that has a long-term effect on how they relate to people later on in life, the people they date, the friendships they have, how they feel about themselves. But I think it also impacts the kind of relationship you're going to have with your kids when they're yeah. adults as yeah. well. Yeah, that, that's that's great advice. And you have three kids now, and three, which is which is crazy, I'm sure. Oh my you. god! <laughs> Literally, I have days where I think, "What did I do?" <laughs> but overall, honest to God, they're they're so different. Like each of them is just so different from the other, um, and they're just so full of love and so full of wonder. Like they're always like they're just so curious. And if you go for a walk with them, it's a mixture of like running and then stopping for like five minutes to look at a rock, yeah. you know. And they're fascinated by the rock, and and they've really helped me on my healing journey I'm just sure. by being so present. Yeah, it, it makes me have to be present as well. And like obviously, children see life completely different. Like they're so innocent. <laughs> And, and so yeah. they're so free like they, yeah. they think so big yeah and they have no limits yeah. to their imagination no and limits it at challenges all. you as an adult yeah. to be like what what yeah. happened to me like why why have all of a sudden i've got parameters yeah. and like barricades and yeah. boulders in my life like yeah. a child really does challenge yeah. you like yeah. that's what i found hanging yeah. about with kids i'm yeah. like there's like yeah. there's childlike faith my son my seven-year-old son he's like my biggest supporter and um if i'm singing in the car he's like mommy you can be a singer and, um, <laughs> and then you know like when i, I tell him stories because he's always like tell me stories about your life so i tell him and some of them you know i try and kind of cover the pain and whatever yes. but he's always like you need to write a story about your life so he like literally and i think to myself i I can't do that. No one will want to read it, but he believes that anybody will want to read wow. my story. So I hear I believe him I too. might just do it. <laughs> yeah. And how long have you been living in Northern Ireland then? So since 2014. 2014, yeah. so nearly, nearly mm -hmm. 10 years yeah. now. Yeah. And all your kids have been born in Northern Ireland, is that no, correct? one of them was born in Indiana when we were living in oh. Michigan. Yeah. So they've got a green card. <laughs> One of them has a, an wow. American passport, yeah. Amazing. He, he, that's his big Trump card growing up. One, one, one of them nearly got it, but then we just we decided we didn't want to pay whatever thousands. Because <laughs> you have to pay for, for all your... To the second yeah, one. that's yeah, true. So he was born in the royal. Well, lucky. Unlucky Luck guy. <laughs> but yeah, no. That's yeah. cool. So you've been living over around 10 years. Yeah. Do you, do you like living in Northern Ireland? Do you know, yes. In general, I know we're, um, we're going to talk general, about the racism, yes. but in general, do you like living in Northern Ireland? So I love the island of Ireland, because for me, I can't separate the north from the south, if that makes sense, because I lived in Dublin for so long. Yeah. Um, but I also can see how, like, it's a completely different country. So even though it's only, Dublin's only two hours away, it's completely different. I absolutely love, like, my home. I love my home. I love the town I live in. I love most people. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes when you talk about racism, people think, um, 
that you know that means you're accusing the whole country of being racist i'm not um my the the kindest people that i've ever met in my life have been women in Northern Ireland at Moms and Tots, um, especially the elderly, you know, ladies. Um, you know, like I showed up 34 weeks pregnant at a Moms and Tots straight from Michigan, like the same week I arrived and showed up and I was literally walking like this because I was, <laughs> he was so massive and <laughs> with a toddler and they were so kind to me, gave me water, like really just looked after me and they looked after me for weeks um so yeah i do love living mm. in northern ireland and um, it's difficult sometimes um but um i love you know i love the life that we have here yeah. and i love my northern irish man <laughs> <laughs> of course of course <laughs> the main man yeah and that, that's what i love about like your story that you haven't been condemning yeah. like every white person in the yeah. country that you know everyone's a racist it's not mm. like you've just shared your experience yeah. and what what has been your experience of racism then Oh goodness! So, um, oh. <laughs> um, so you on a day to day um, here in Northern Ireland, there's a lot of like microaggressions, like about hair especially, um, and sadly, it mostly comes from women, which for me really hurts because I've all you know been estranged from my mom. Like I have this deep mother wound, and you know, mm. and sometimes I do try to cling on to like other people, um, other especially women. And um, so it's you know I've had things like oh you know your hair looks like um, you know looks like what my hair looks like if I haven't brushed it or if I haven't washed it. Yeah just randomly, stuff like that. Crazy. I've been asked if my hair has been electrocuted, um, you know, and then just people being surprised that I speak English. Um, and I know some people will think that that's a genuine thing, like it's, it's an okay thing to say to someone, but I think in this day and age where like the world is so globalized, like we're, it's, we're literally all kind of so connected mm -hmm. more people speak english than not in yeah. my experience and then you know being kenyan we were colonized by the british the british did not just colonize ireland they colonized you know many yeah. parts of africa and a yeah. lot of africans speak english we might have an accent but so do you <laughs> and we we speak english and um, so comments about english comments about oh um you know whenever there was a time Whenever we came back from Michigan, I was viewing houses to to rent before we were able to buy, and I had an experience with a with a an estate agent who who said to me, you know, we're not taking anybody that's um, that's on social welfare, and I was standing there with my little toddler with my belly out to hear being like, but I I'm not on social welfare, and he was like. What do you mean you're not like he didn't believe me yeah, he and just assumed, you're, he just you're not assumed that i would be and yeah. that you know so it's, it's stuff like that that really gets you on a day-to-day -day. i gave a talk at a church and this man came up to me and i laugh because sometimes you have to laugh he said to me he was like well i really like the way you strung your sentences together yeah and the same man like whenever i got my extensions in like came and touched my hair and he was just like oh, it's different today, you know? So little things like that where they're it's little strange, to it? someone doing it, but to me, it can really knock my confidence that day, you know? And it, it, it can really just be really upsetting. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, you know, I've learned to just be like, okay, whatever. Um, and then I've had the big 
you know, racist things like the thing at Hazel Banks, at Hazel Bank, where the kids were, you know, call me the N-word, make monkey noises, you know, at me and my kids. I've had, whenever I was pregnant with my second, no, my third, um, I was walking in Orangefield Park and this, this group of guys, um, on bicycles were cycling down the marsh wiggle way and I was walking up I was so obsessed with walking I was doing like five to ten k I thought I could keep gestational diabetes <laughs> away it didn't work anyway so I'm walking and super pregnant and they cycled really close to me called me the n-word and I nearly fell into the stream and I didn't go for a walk for about two weeks because mm -hmm. I was so scared to do that. Um, another incident was in Belfast um, where I was walking behind a woman and her daughter. They started holding on to their purses. And then when I walked past them, um, you know, they made monkey noises at me and called me the N-word. Um, so stuff like that where on a day-to-day, -day, it's the little subtle things of can you speak English? Oh, you have a degree um, or, you know, stuff like that. And then once in a while you do get the big the mm. big stuff that's really how does that make you feel then like how do you like think about yourself yeah. whenever you're you go home and you process it like yeah. do you just expect that sort of thing to happen now or do you so yes and no so i spent um quite a long time in dublin you know more than i spent anywhere else and the big overt racism was quite big in tala i was in a um okay um, you know, I lived in a council estate, so we had boys pee in our garden and call us the N-word and graffiti on our walls. And, um, you know, I had, a, <laughs> I laugh when I'm nervous, um, a wee boy <laughs> on the bus zipped down his onesie. I don't know why he was on a bus in a onesie. Yeah. Um, zipped down, took out his penis. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah. <laughs> you say what you want, say what you want. <laughs> and, and peed on my leg. What? Yeah, and he was with a group of older kids. And what age is this guy? He, this wee fellow was only about five or six. So they sent him, so when they That's saw that crazy. he did that, they started laughing. So all that to say that whenever stuff like that happens, in, in you know, whenever I get the big, you know, racist things in Northern Ireland, my inner child gets triggered, my teenager gets really triggered and um, I feel really upset. I go back to not believing in myself, not feeling like I'm good enough. Um, I struggled with my identity for a long time um, and, you know, sometimes you know, then I go back to, like, whenever people comment on my hair, it makes me, like, want to just straighten my hair or wear my hair in braids because I, I don't want people to comment on my hair. Um, so, yeah, no, it really knocks my confidence. And then sometimes I, I do cry. I go home and I have a good cry about it because no. it's not fair that I have to put up with that. No, de definitely not. It's something you cannot control. Yeah. You're born that way, like, mm. born in God's image as well. Yeah. You know, so absolutely nothing wrong yeah. with it. Yeah. But to feel that that to feel that way, like in your own home, like yeah. you love, you said you love yeah. Northern Ireland, like mm -hmm. this is your home. Yeah. Your kids are going to be growing up here. Mm -hmm. This is a place that's special to you yeah. and your heart and yeah. your husband's heart as well. He's from here, yeah. so to feel like you don't belong home, yeah, I, I couldn't even imagine it. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm mixed race myself, as I said, but my experience of racism hasn't been even that big over here. Mm -hmm. I think in high school, I remember a guy using the P word, mm -hmm. the Pakistan yeah. slur, yeah. but it would be racial slur. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think you would say it, and 
I had great friends. I, I've always had great friends in my life, which I'm, I'm so, so blessed. Mm -hmm. But uh, my friends at that time, I had told them yeah. that, that these guys, this, like I felt a wee bit down. I don't remember, yeah. so young, it's hard yeah. to remember what, exactly how I felt, but I remember it wasn't nice. Yeah. And I didn't obviously like that feeling. And mm -hmm. I, I knew I was different from everybody else in yeah. the class. Like yeah. that was really obvious. Yeah. But um, this guy was a lot older. I think I was first year. Yeah. And he was like fifth year, like he, oh. he, he knows better. Yeah. Like I'm just a young kid, I'm skinny, yeah. I'm 11 yeah. years old, I've got nothing to me. Yeah. You know, no, I have no problem with anybody. I was so quiet in school, I barely yeah. spoke to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this guy felt the need to say that. Yeah. And I told my friend and he literally went and kicked his head in. Yeah. Like literally had a fight with him and Aww. and like just I for me. That. I and I, I, I like felt Give so much. Give me some of those friends. <laughs> <laughs> like, All my so friends much. are fired. <laughs> I felt so much like probably not the best way to, to combat it, you know, but no, like sometimes just they he need believed, a but you know what I loved about it? He, yeah. he believed me. Yeah. He, it wasn't like, are you sure? Or, yeah. Let's just, let's just leave it. Yeah. He actually believed. Yeah. I mean, I actually hurt him yeah. more than it hurt me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's the thing I, that's what empathy is. Yeah. It's whenever you feel like yeah. that real hurt that yeah. someone else feels. Yeah. Do you know what and I mean? like, that gave me goosebumps because that's all we want. Like, if somebody tells you that they've been abused, like hear them, like yeah. hold space for them. And I think it's important if you're struggling to have empathy for that person, you need to sit with that feeling and ask yourself, why am I struggling? Why do I think they're lying? Because nobody wakes up and, and starts making up lies. And I know, you know, people, you know, like who, you know, the actor that, that said he was beat up, um, for uh, Smollett, somebody Smollett. So um, I know there are people like him, yeah, but they're one in a million. Whenever, you know, I say that, you know, somebody called me something and it hurts, like I'm not lying and you're not lying. And I love that your friend believed you. And that's what TikTok has friend. done for me, actually. Um, the amount of people that believe me, there are people who don't believe me and there are people who say that I'm just playing the race card. There are people who... Um, you know, are so quick to say, well, there's, you know, black people can be racist too. Like, yeah, m make your video. If a black person has been racist to you, I want you to speak up. Tell me, yeah, say that. But I'm speaking about how somebody has been racist to me. And, um, you know, a lot of people have validated that. And I think mm -hmm. the BBC and UTV picking up my story um, really showed me that I was heard as well and that people believe me. And it showed me that Northern Ireland is a country full of people who have empathy and who do not want to see this going on. Mm -hmm. And you, you made a video as well. And mm -hmm. um, I've seen that there's three different types of racism. Mm -hmm. If you want to explain what they are and what they look like. Um, yeah, so I, there's um, the big stuff, you know, the, um, so there's the people that are just straight up racist. They're not gonna hide it. Um, and a good example is my father-in-law, like, you know, he would say things like, black people are the cause of all the problems in the UK. And, you know, black people need white people to rule them. Like black people That's are taking crazy. over white churches. Um, That's so, crazy, you know. Yeah, it's crazy. And I'm grateful that he was very honest because I didn't have to wonder if he was racist. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I know yeah. what you mean. So I didn't like I it, mean. but I was like, oh, okay. At least he's... Yeah. 
upfront yeah, with it. Yeah, he was upfront with it. And then there's the covert um, racism where, you know, it's the little jabs with the hair. And my mother-in-law did a lot of those. You know, it was always like, are you going to wear your hair like that today? And, you know, your hair looks nice today. You know, if I had it in a hairstyle that wasn't very Afro-y. Um, it's the little comments about, you know, <laughs> I was trying to buy hand cream and she was like, I think you're going to need this one, you know, for skin like yours um, type of thing. Like, what do you know about my skin? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, so stuff like that. And it's sometimes it was hard to call her a racist because it was so subtle. And then there was a lot of like good coming from her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was very much like, I, I don't, I, I don't know, like, but you're so nice to me, you know? And so, and then the third kind um, is, you know, the people who are woke and they think that they're really woke, but actually they're doing it for themselves. I've had woke and it's mostly white women. Um, and I don't mean this in a, in a bad way at all. Um, and I'm, I don't know where it stems from, but they're so woke that they think they're more woke than you. Okay. Um, you know, and they try to tell you like the history of like your hair or like, you know, because um, I was trying to explain to somebody and she was like, well, Emma Debrie said, I don't know if you've heard of Emma Debrie, she's no. from the South. She's a mixed race girl, lives in Dublin, uh, no, lives in London now. And she's written a book about the history of um, black hair and, and stuff like that. So this person went on to educate me on the type of racism that I get with my hair, but wouldn't hear me out. So do you know what I mean? Yes. So they, they're so woke that, but they also are not able to hold space for you but I think sometimes for some people it's trendy you know it looks like speaking up and saying black lives matter is a is a trendy thing but they're still not being fully empathic um with the people going through it and, and giving you space and allowing you to yeah yeah and how see people that do maybe like say black lives matter on on their socials or yeah. like put a wee blackout screen to yeah. maybe look maybe as you say be woke and make them look like as if they're yeah. aware mm -hmm. how is it then that they actually can help i think um first of all call out racism what whenever you hear it whenever you see it if you're able to because i know sometimes it can be unsafe for you to call it out but as much as you can call it out and um, you know and i like, again, I love that your friend <laughs> beat up that person. <laughs> and I'm not saying go beat up everyone, but you can, you know, just say, I'm not comfortable with you speaking like that. Um, and then another thing is, you know, believe us when we tell you our stories and hold space and don't try to to show how much you know more about racism than we do. Um, and then, um, you know, like create um, safe spaces. And I think sometimes if you do see... Um, in your workplace, for example, there's, you know, a person, a black person or an Asian person or whatever, and they seem to be on, on their own and they seem to be isolated, like be friends with them. I'm convinced that being a person of color in Europe and in predominantly white spaces is one of the most isolating and lonely places to be. Oh. I, I'm convinced because sometimes you don't know who to trust. And, That's you know, crazy. and then the way people talk about you or, you know, like, for example, I was at a dinner with some women from another church and, and, and this was about 
when the James Bond movie came out. So I think it was about a year and a half. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they were talking about having a black um black right. movie. So then they were like, you know, so I'm at this dinner. I am a black woman. They know, they can see, right? It's, you can't hide it. Mm-hmm. And they were like really upset that this was happening and saying like, um, this is going on, like they're taking this too far. And then one of them said, well, sure, Maureen, like they can give you the role. Um, and then they all laughed. Mm-hmm. And like, that's really damaging. Yeah. The fact that nobody said anything. And I literally sat, sat there had to listen to that whole conversation and then the joke was placed on me you know and nobody said anything and i don't know if anybody if that sat you know mm-hmm. wrong with anybody i yeah. don't know if yeah it, they didn't they thought that was an okay comment yeah, the past and not, yeah. not challenge it yeah and i've heard you know i have a friend who um you know, there, there's been a lot of um, refugees being placed in hotels, you know, yep. around uh, the island. And um, he he's in a relation, interracial relationship and he was with a group of people and they were just complaining about how they can't access this hotel and, you know, just saying horrible things. And he just stood there and everybody was okay with this conversation. And these are refugees, people who've come from like lots of different places who really do need help. Yeah. And if the hotels were not getting enough compensation from the government, they wouldn't be doing this. Mm-hmm. But people are trying to find a scapegoat and be like, oh, well, the refugees are taking it. Nobody's taking it by force. Yeah. Like the owners are clearly benefiting benefiting from this you yes. know from the government do you know what i yeah. mean but nobody said anything and he he was just standing there and um, feeling awful and then he went for a drink in a pub and literally was told never to return by a group oh. of guys and nobody stood up for him mm. wow so, that's yeah. crazy and yeah. i i'm a massive like football fan yeah. and that you can see yeah. the stain of racism oh in football so yeah. much. Yeah. Um, you've seen Vinicius Junior recently, mm-hmm. uh, Valencia game yeah. in Spain, yeah. in Europe, as you yeah. said, and he got racist. He's yeah. very targeted on racism yeah. on the social the media, yeah. in the stadium itself, mm-hmm. on the drive to the stadium. Yeah. They'll have a, a poster of him hanging on a bridge yeah. as a monkey or mm-hmm. all these chants on it. Crazy, crazy stuff. And even back in 2013, I think Kevin Prince Boateng, who yeah. plays for AC Milan, mm-hmm. he actually walked off the pitch yeah. because of the racism yeah. that he was receiving. Yeah. And a lot of people thought that was a great um, blueprint to follow that Kevin yeah. Prince Boateng done because yeah. he, he just went, I'm not accepting yeah. that. I'm not going to play yeah. football if you can't ha- even. Yeah. That was his own fans as well, yeah. as well as opposite fans. Yeah. And a lot of people thought, this is what we need to do now. Yeah. We need to walk out of stadiums. We yeah. need to say, look, this isn't acceptable. Yeah. We're not playing with racism in yeah. this game. Like, but even FIFA and UEFA, who yeah. govern football, yeah. seem to do nothing. Please. What's the acceptable punishment for the likes of football fans that will yeah. chant monkey chants? I the think- likes of even just the kids and people over here that done yeah. that to you? Like, what's what's the acceptable? There isn't really a big um, punishment for it. Yeah. Like. You know what? What do they get? That the police, because yeah. you can't really accuse someone of racism, and then you can't prove it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. at the end, it's just a, it's just a word, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like you can't prove I said it. Yeah. So what's the acceptable punishment? Well, I think with the football fans, like they have so many recordings of this going on. I think they need to ban them. 
from coming to the games. If Just you forever cannot, for life? Yeah, yeah, I would. Like, if you cannot behave, you can't come back. Like, you know, don't come back. Um, and I think black and brown people also need to start recording things. And so that's one thing that I really want to start doing, which obviously makes me really paranoid now. But if something does happen again, I'm hoping that I'll be able to record it. So then the guards, then the police can't say, oh, we can't do anything because you don't have any proof. But it's hard, especially, you know, and I did a video about this where, you know, because <laughs> people kept saying, why didn't you record it if it's true? I had three kids. I was near the sea um, the second time whenever they, you know, they were saying the N word. And my two-year-old was running into the sea. I couldn't record it, you know, at that point because I'm trying to make sure they're safe and they're not listening to what these people are saying. So it's hard, but I do think whenever possible, and African-Americans have gotten really good at recording it. Mm -hmm. And just literally, if the police does do nothing, at least TikTok and other social media, like, will, yeah. will shame them. Absolutely. Yeah, they should. <laughs> they I, think, I think it should be made really, really public because, but we've seen how even, like, recording stuff like that doesn't recording something like that sometimes done the police will still find a way not to prosecute those people in america so it doesn't mean that it will always that we will always get justice but we can no longer be silent yeah i'm a strong believer in that i think yeah. if we keep silent there'll be more george floyds and and, and georgian catchers mm -hmm. um in dublin and yeah yeah and a great like we were chatting as we came in a great setting for it. We've got yeah. Biggie Smalls, Tupac, Easy yeah. E from MWA up there. Mm -hmm. And these guys are examples of not being silent. Yeah. These guys suffered yeah. serious racial abuse from police, yeah. from the public mm -hmm. in the West Coast of America in yeah. the 1980s and 90s, mm -hmm. 70s. And them guys became massive yeah. because of exploiting the racism that mm -hmm. they were experiencing in America. Yeah. For, and they'd done nothing. They were just sitting in the studio yeah. making music. And yeah. the police went, no, you're not doing that. Like, yeah. you're smoking weed, you're doing this, that. They yeah. weren't doing anything. Yeah. So it's a great example of speaking out about yeah. it. Never yeah. be silent. I, I'm convinced that abusive and oppressive systems, it doesn't matter which ones they are. Like, it could be governments, it could be churches it could be in-laws um you know it could be your family of origin um for them to thrive they need silence and they need secrecy right but if more people spoke up if more people were like no i'm gonna tell my story like whatever will be will be i think the world will be a less shameful place for survivors of trauma and i think um like people would be able to stand up for more stand up more but their oppressive systems need us to be silent mm -hmm. because it benefits them when we're silent and yeah. when, when we're quiet um yeah and you know we don't have to be and i refuse to be and i'm going to keep you, no? speaking up and um, I, I i was silent for too long and yeah. i can't not for, not when my kids are around yeah. and and not for my inner child i have found it really healing for me as well, whenever I started speaking up um, and not covering up for my mom and not covering up for my in-laws and not covering up for racist people and, and stupid church <laughs> structures. Um, it's healing, it's healing, not just for other people, but for us as well, um, because we can finally use our voice and mm. um, yeah. Now you've spoke very passionately about it and yeah. rightly so. Yeah. It's something that's personal to you, like yeah. no one can say, it was true or it wasn't. Yeah. You know, this is what you have went through yeah. for yeah. a long time. And of course, recently, 
so you've spoke very well about it i really appreciate you opening up because that's very vulnerable you to chat about this stuff yeah people won't understand like this is actually something that it hurts you yeah you know and it's something that i don't even fully understand yeah and i'm even a mixed race background so i don't even know how you feel just sitting on this chair talking about it like you could be feeling so uncomfortable you might be feeling like am i making people feel guilty am i shaming white people yeah am I doing this? But you're just speaking how you actually yeah. truly feel yeah. and how you've been living your life. Yeah. So I yeah. applaud you for sitting Thank here today you. with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And I just want to say that it's really draining to talk about stuff like that. Um, you know, so for people who think that you can just make something up <laughs> like that, like, like you want to see me tonight, I'll probably have a good cry in bed and then sleep, you know, um, because it's so draining and um, and it, it affects, sometimes it can affect the day-to-day functioning of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I can't be silent because I don't want my kids to ever, you know, get of to, course, a, yeah, to ever have to go through that. Um, but I'm so honored to have been on this. And, no, we appreciate um, you so much. And I love that you know, that your experience hasn't been exactly the same as, yeah. as me. Um, because I think, you know, we can't all suffer, <laughs> you know, and I'm not saying that it's okay that I suffered all that, um, but Definitely. we can't all suffer. Um, and I do want to talk about, you know, um, there's, there's a fetishization, I can never say that word, um, of like lighter skin. So if you just have like just enough of a tan, just don't be too dark. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And, um, you know, people will say things like to my, about my kids, um, oh, I love their color. And I remember one time joking and being like, oh yeah, they, you know, they got my color. And somebody was like, no, no, like they're just, they're just right. Just, just right. <laughs> um, so right. yeah. So a part of me is like excited for my kids as well, because I'm like maybe they won't get as much. As much. Um, but they still will. They they mm. da- they tan really well in the summer. So you know what? They look better than all of them. So that'll shut <laughs> yeah. them up. Yeah. <laughs> they look good. They yeah. got the natural genetics. Yeah. Good looking. <laughs> so yeah. perfect. I want to finish off with a question. Okay. Um, I've recently bought the Diary of a CEO conversation cards. Okay. And there, it's a fantastic podcast from yeah. Stephen Bartlett. Okay. You might have heard of him, yeah. seen him, mm-hmm. and I normally ask a guest in our last episodes about a question. So mm-hmm. at the end of every guest, yeah. or at the end of every guest episode, yeah. um, the get, he gets a guest to leave a question. Mm-hmm. So I thought this question would be good to ask you yeah. today, and then that will finish us up. Okay. Um, this question was left by James Bay, mm-hmm. who's a singer and songwriter here from the UK. Mm-hmm. And his question is, when it all gets too dark, what helps you find the light? Oh, I was actually going to do a video on this this week. Um, so a few things. Um, my faith, like my faith, like four years ago when, um, oh God, when I felt at my darkest place, um, you know, on my bedroom floor, I remember lying down and just and just praying, and that that was a big one. Um, so I know that for me, God always comes through, even in the darkest places. And um, music, 
I love music. Music got through my, get, helped me get through my teenage years. Um, so I'll just blast. Um, so actually, funny enough, my crying music is James Arthur oh. and Adele. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is about their music. And then so I go from James Arthur to Adele, and then I listen to like Jonathan McRaynold, and then I'll have like a gospel choir. Oh, yeah. Then, yeah, yeah, so I. Um, Good I, mix there. Yeah, so I just, but I, I need to get a, my cry out. And then, you know, but yeah, for me, my faith, God and good people, people and um, because people hurt us, but it, we also heal in community. Yeah. So we need you, people. Yeah, we need people. In if life. you can get people who are solid, who are going to support you. Um, and then therapy is big therapy, I recommend and 12 step groups and um, where you can work through your trauma and your issues. Yeah. But God for me is. Oh. top of the list good great great answer yeah. great answer again thank you so much i know this was emotional for you yeah. to, to come on and, and speak about such such a topic of racism mm-hmm. you know I, I really appreciate it and appreciate your time appreciate your voice and, and keep doing you thank honestly you. keep keep thank keep calling it out yeah. keep saying what it is keep exposing it and you know day by day mm-hmm. hopefully, hopefully people in society in general from all over the world get better yeah from people like you yeah you know yeah, thank you. So thank you so and much. You keep doing what you do, and thank you for reaching out. No it problem. Means a lot. It's all good. It's all good. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening and watching to the podcast. If you want to reach out to Maureen, you can search her on Instagram. I'll put her link in the bio. You can reach out to her. Talk about your story. If you've seen racism in Northern Ireland, if you've experienced it, it doesn't even have to be Northern Ireland. It could be anywhere in the world. Yeah. If you've got a problem with racism, yeah. even just reach out because it's good yeah. just to know that you're not alone. Yeah. So. You, my DMs are open, Maureen's yeah. DMs are open. Yeah. Please talk about it more. Please share stories. Please just talk. Yeah. I think this is how we're going yeah. to combat this. Yeah. So, again, thank you so much for listening and watching. If you do like the video, please remember to like the video and leave a comment below on what you actually thought of this conversation today. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you.